0: en
1: to our regular format tonight, are we? Now we have an excellent program lined up for you this evening, and have a lot of information to get through, so let's not hesitate. Kicking us off this evening, we begin in the state of New York. Steve, welcome to the program.
2: Hey, Derek. My name is Steve. I'm calling in response to a call you had last week. There was a truck driver driving west of Monticello, New York. He says he saw a young Bigfoot. Well, I just moved into a town about 20 minutes east of Monticello, New York. Uh, this past summer, a few nights, when I was hanging out on my back deck, I could hear a noise in the woods occasionally that I would describe as wood knocks. Uh, there wasn't a lot of them. They were occasionally. I didn't pay that much attention to them. Rural life is new to me, so I kind of just dismissed the noise as probably neighbors or something else at first. I did kind of joke in my head that, you know, Bigfoots do make wood knocks. But I wanted to share that story and kind of verifies what the truck drivers saw on State Route 42. And hopefully you can use this. And thank you very much and have a great day.
1: Thanks, Steve. Okay, let's address the elephant in the room. Yes, I saw the post by Coyote Peterson. Hundreds of you either sent it to me or posted it on your own social media. Now, for those unfamiliar, wildlife personality and apparently funny guy, Coyote Peterson, posted a series of photographs depicting him finding a mysterious skull in the Canadian forest. Now, in the post itself, he later admits to smuggling it over international lines into the United States. Now, I won't waste much more of your time on this, because he's already wasted plenty. But I, too, like most others in the field, immediately recognize this as a hoax. Apparently, our observations were correct. I'm told that in the video, he admits that this is a fictitious story. So, no Bigfoot. No mystery skull. Just a shameful ploy for attention. Now my suggestion to the rest of the field here is keep your nose to the grindstone and ignore the clowns in the circus. Anyway, we've wasted enough time on that. Now in regards to Steve's entry, I bet most of those listening are familiar with the vocalizations, rock clacks and wood knocks said to be used by Bigfoot or Sasquatch whatever it is you want to call them. But for those unfamiliar, they're essentially that, a list of sounds researchers believe the creatures use to communicate. The wood knocks that Steve mentioned are included in that list. A primordial sound. The sound of tree on tree, echoing throughout the mountains, hills, and hollers. Knocks like this call and response from the infamous sierra sounds. Now I've heard all sorts of theories as to why a creature like Sasquatch would adapt such communication methods, ranging from locating other group members to sharing numbers of an invading group. One knock represents one intruder. But the truth is, we just don't know. We don't even know for sure that they actually use this method. Or hell, we don't even know for sure that they exist. But I can say that parts of rural New York are well known for sightings of an upright hairy creature. And I'd venture as far as to say upstate New York is New England's biggest Bigfoot hotspot. After all, this takes place just 200 miles north of Steve's town of Monticello, each and every summer.
3: Whitehall is an epicenter of Bigfoot sightings in the Northeast.
4: We're here for the calling contest and it should be a lot of fun. He let out such a deep, deep guttural, I could feel it like me blowing a tuba in your face. And we're gonna have the Sasquatch calling contest and this is how it's judged on what I heard. Our backs are to the contestants, we don't know who it is and we judge it from there. (laughs)
5: <laughs>
1: that second voice that you heard was that of Brian Goslin. A witness to the original 1976 white off lap, and now a local celebrity of sorts. And that clip courtesy of NYUP on YouTube. And I don't know if you caught it there, but one old boy even did a little wood knocking on his attempt. That's awfully clever. He didn't win though. Anyway, I guess the point here, Steve, is that if you heard something strange in New York, you're most certainly not alone. And thanks again for ringing in. Now if you too would like to submit a call for me to review, simply call our hotline at 1-888-608-9. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now then, our next nightmarish contribution comes to us from Abby in the state of California.
6: Hi, my name is Abby, and I am from Sacramento, California. Okay, well, my story starts off when I was about five years old, I believe. I was staying with my grandma, and, well, her bed was right next to a window, a big window. She used to live in a two-story house, and her room where her bed was, you could see out into the streets. It was a really nice room, and when i was little when i would stay at her house i used to like to share beds with her because i was afraid to be on my own you know little kids scared of everything so one night i remember waking up and it was just really weird because i remember just waking up in the middle of the night and i could hear dogs howling i could see the moon it was you know very eerie i just remember i just felt very weird but I felt like someone was watching me. So I was against the window and my grandma was beside me. And they remember just kind of sitting up and looking into the room, it was dark. And just the light was pouring on the bed, but it, everything else was dark. And I saw something in the middle of the room. It was this really tall thing. It had like a cloak wrapped around it. It was just like, uh, it looked like a hooded thing. And it was just huge. It was just tall as the ceiling. And I just remember looking at it, but it wasn't like a scary thing. It was just kind of like a weird, like, well, what's this thing doing here? And the door was closed. So it wasn't like you could, like, it was a heavy door to her room. So you, you would hear if they opened it or closed it. And I remember just thinking that it couldn't step any closer. So it was maybe about three feet away from the bed and... I just remember I couldn't see its face I saw it just holding kind of like a like a spider I tried to wake up my grandma I tried to move her I was trying to like say like grandma grandma wake up and she wouldn't wake up and I remember just being like grandma there's someone here but she wouldn't wake up so I kind of just turned around I covered myself with a blanket and I thought okay maybe if I just pretend to go to sleep we'll go away and I remember just doing that a couple of times, but taking off the cover, seeing it still standing there and covering myself up and trying to wake her up. Good. And she was a light sleeper, so she would definitely know that I was trying to wake her up. And eventually I just kind of fell asleep. And I remember just a few years later, I was doing this Sonic Culture kind of a Dia de los Muertos assignment. And we covered this story about someone seen death and I was like I just I, I don't know why it never clicked to me that this dream me first thing that you know I was reading the story about was exactly what I had seen that night and it just blew my mind because to a of you would not understand that what you saw was actually a dream reaper with the you know giant knife and it just you know for some reason I just remember that 10 years later so kind of creepy really fascinating story and um, I thought that would be an interesting thing to call in about anyway thanks so much for hearing my story I love your podcast thank you bye bye
1: thanks Abby I think maybe Abby meant to say scythe instead of cyber at least that was my interpretation but as she later suggests the entity may have been death incarnate which is further justification for me jumping to that conclusion. And she's certainly not the first to report this sort of phenomena. Just a handful of episodes ago, Season 13, Episode 11, Debbie from Illinois also reported seeing a similar entity, among many others over the years. Now, I won't jump to conclusions as to what the entity might be, but I will go as far as to say, This won't be the last that we hear of it. Thanks again, Abby, for sharing your brush with death. Now this next one is an interesting experience out of Canada. Mike, welcome to the program.
0: Hello, Monsters Among Us. Uh, This is a relatively new listener, but I thought I'd try to contribute here with a story I can't quite fully put my finger on what the cause here was. So uh, I'm from a small town in southern Ontario, pretty much the only slightly significant stop between London and the Windsor-Detroit border if you're traveling westbound on the 401 highway. The town's approximately uh, 40,000 people, and for the historically inclined, it's no more than 10 kilometers away from the northern terminal end of the Underground Railway. The community was primarily agricultural for the 18 and 1900s, up to the 60s when it shifted towards automotive manufacturing. So my story starts about 10 years ago while I was a student living at my parents' home. And um, They lived on a long, dark, gravel country road outside of the city limits. Uh, the road is straight, flat, long and dark, without any sort of street lights, And you're quite literally blanketed in the darkness after nightfall without a moon. But my friends and I, we appreciated these rural surroundings, as this allowed us to partake in what was considered at the time subtly illegal activity, uh, where we would wait until nightfall before going through surrounding farmers' fields to plant, grow, and harvest marijuana. We did this for a long time, and I grew up in the country myself, too, so we were rather confident uh, with our navigation skills through the darkness and our awareness of the hazards of the night. And as I mentioned, you know, I'm from a hunting family, a fishing family, raised in the country. I've seen many animals, I've encountered many things, but nothing I could really explain up till now. So on this particular night, in what would have been a dark yet relatively clear mid-June night, maybe about 11.30 at night, my two friends and I were walking back through the fields towards my parents house after we were finished doing some planting uh, we were using this creek that runs through the fields between concession lines as a bit of a landmark or a guide so if we're walking back through the fields towards my parents house along this creek there is one single landmark as well which is a uh, old witch elm tree the tree itself was rather unnerving at times as it seemed to barely grow and never fell uh, it always bloomed very few leaves. However, um, I used it, as I mentioned, as a landmark to determine, you know, whereabouts we were through the field. At this time, there were soybeans planted on either side of the creek surrounding the witch elm. So the visibility of the tree and around the base of the tree wasn't obstructed any further than perhaps one to two feet off the ground. So my two friends and I were walking along this creek towards the tree, which at this point went in a straight line, the creek that is, through the field until reaching the witch elm. Once the creek met the witch elm, it takes a sharp 90-degree turn to the left and makes a gradual diagonal um, that leads towards my parents' former property line. So we were about 80 to 100 yards away from this tree when suddenly we all saw this brilliant flash of white light that projected upwards from the base of the tree and seemed to almost shoot itself from the ground into the sky. So it was quite quick, a mere flash of brilliant white light in the darkness. But the contrast, at this time of night, made it quite impossible to miss. So we were all thinking that it was perhaps lights from a property owner and their vehicle coming to investigate trespassers, so we dropped into the bean fields and hid. But after a few solid minutes of listening and watching, nothing happened. No one was out there. There was no car, no sound, aside from the brief, subtle breeze through the beans. So curious and not wanting to lay there any longer, I urged everybody onward to investigate the tree. Um, once we got there, though, there was nothing. No sign of disturbance in the grasses or beans around its base. No marks on the bark up the tree, for instance, from lightning. And as I mentioned, it was a clear, star filled sky. And indeed, there were no vehicles there. So, my two friends and I, uh, we discussed the issue and encounter as we returned to my parents, but to this day, we can't come up with a reasonable explanation. So, I would love to hear what you think. Any insights would be appreciated. And thanks so much for reading my story and for all of your excellent work with Monsters Among Us. I'll likely be in touch again soon with a um, personal Shadow Man encounter for you as well. Have a great night, everybody. And this is Mike from Southwestern, Ontario.
1: Thanks, Mike. Now, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that something might have taken off from that spot. What that something is, that's another question. And you know, calls like this always make me think the same thing. I wonder how many wild experiences are never shared because the experiencer was engaged in some quote-unquote illegal activities. But anyway, it's crazy stuff, Mike. And we thank you for sharing it with us. What do you think he saw? Now folks, if you don't mind, please take a quick moment to jump on over to MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and visit the shop tab. Over there, you'll find all sorts of Monsters Among Us gear. Hats, totes, bags, t-shirts, posters, you name it. It's probably there somewhere. And the good news is, right now, everything is on sale. So again, that's MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com. Click on that shop tab. Now this next entry takes us to the state of Texas where Alexis is ready with her experience.
7: Hi Derek, my name is Alexis and I am from Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I'm calling in just to tell a quick story um, of an experience that I did have. Um, My husband and I bought a house about two years ago, so this was in 2018. Within the first few months of buying the house, I had a strange experience at night. I woke up in the middle of the night and sat up and I noticed that there was a woman sitting on the end of my bed. And I remember asking, can I help you? And then I just remember her getting up and uh, walking out of the room. And then I immediately woke my husband up and asked him if he saw anything. And then we went and looked around the house and of course there was nothing there. And so it was just a really strange experience. But I do remember feeling not scared, but more comforted by the the spirit or whatever it was. I know it wasn't sleep paralysis because I did sit up. Um, So it was just a really interesting experience. After doing some research into our house, we did find out that um, there was a woman who did pass away in our house. It was a grandmother of the family that owned the house before us. So that was just kind of an interesting coincidence. But other than that, we haven't experienced anything in our house. But I just want to call in and tell that quick story. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. I love the podcast, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you, Alexis. You know, as this housing crisis goes on, and more folks find themselves salvaging, rescuing, and otherwise renovating older, rundown homes, I think we'll start to hear more calls like this. Suddenly, houses that have remained dormant and empty for years have sprung to life for both the living and the dead. And if, like Alexis, this happens to you, please make sure to let us know. And thanks again, Alexis, for sharing your experience. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You know, when we think about health, we normally default to thinking about physical health, making sure our bodies are in good shape by exercising, eating right. But our mental health is just as important. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time in keeping our brains healthy. One way to do that is through BetterHelp Online Therapy. I've struggled with depression my whole life, and therapy has helped give me the tools I need to deal with it in a healthier way. Life can sometimes feel like a roller coaster, and I think therapy can do a lot to help everyone manage the ups and downs. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's a lot more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So if you've been thinking about therapy, take this as your sign to get started now. And I know you'll be glad you did. Monsters Among Us listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. Now back to that strange shadow outside your window. Oh boy. This next one is pretty creepy, so please join me in welcoming Chris from the state of Texas to the program.
8: Hi, Derek. My name is uh, Chris. I'm calling you from uh, Dallas, Texas. My uh, weird encounter happened while driving at night with my buddy. We were off to pick up my girlfriend, now wife, from her job. She normally get off at, uh, around midnight. We're driving on this freeway, we're being, you know, young adults, <laughs> and it was around the time I was uh, Fast and the Furious, so needless to say, I was driving a souped-up uh, street race car, whatever you want to call it. Anyways, loud muffler, loud, loud music, we got the windows rolled down. There wasn't a lot of cars in, in the freeway, because again, it was not too late, but it was around eleven thirty, eleven forty-five or so. Um, out of nowhere, uh, this other little souped-up uh, Honda pulls up to us. and starts revving his engine. He wants to race, so obviously I obliged. And here we go! here we're uh, going down uh, 35 uh, West, doing about 100, to 110 miles an hour. You know, just being dumb and, and young. So you know, we're we're racing down the freeway, and then we came to this on-ramp, which is close to Regal Row. Now, uh, when you get to Regal Road, there's also a little hill that goes up into a bridge where the Trinity River passes through underneath, I believe. So, the on-ramp is coming up, there's a truck, an old beat-up truck, coming into the freeway. I'm on the right lane, or the slow lane, the Honda's in the middle lane, so I'm trying not to lose to this Honda. So I drop a gear and I gun it and I go in between both cars. So I'm looking straight ahead, making sure that I don't hit none of the two cars or anything like that. And I pass the cars, I cut off the Honda and he stays back and da da, I won basically. My buddy stuck to his seat he's grabbing himself you know the <laughs> the door handle the the emergency brake everything he can cuz i i'm thinking he he uh, i'm thinking that he got scared or whatever but uh, so i looked through my rear view mirror to see what happened to the honda and the other truck and um, you know all i see is this white translucent uh, thing it looked like a sheet or maybe a piece of plastic that flew across the freeway I'm thinking nothing of it. I'm thinking that maybe when I passed by, I picked it up with the wind or something, because it actually blocked the lights from the uh, from the vehicles behind me. So that was it. I'm, I'm by this time I'm on the bridge, and I tell my buddy, "Ah, come on, man, snap out of it. It wasn't that bad." And he turns around and looks at me and says, "And tells me, did you see it?" And I don't know, me wanting to, you know, still play around or maybe scare him. I think about the white thing and I'm like, what, the white thing? And he was like, yeah, you saw it? And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't see you turn around or try to look or anything like that. I saw, I saw that you were, you know, basically glued to the seat. And then he turns around. And he's like, what are you talking about? It came in through your window, came inside the car, almost hit me in the face got out through my window and then went underneath the bridge. <sighs> so at that point we're both freaking out. <laughs> we slow down, turn off the music, we troll up the windows and we're just thinking about it. You know, if it was a bird or a piece of plastic or something like that that that, that went inside the car, it would have gotten trapped by because of the of the speed. Anyways, we couldn't make heads or tails of it. Got to my wife's job, you know, picked her up and that was it. Fast forward maybe uh, one or two years, we're telling everybody the story, obviously, and we're telling everybody that maybe we saw uh, like Bloody Mary or La Llorona. And everybody was like, oh, you know. But uh, what was freaky was that my uncle was like, that was not the Llorona. That was maybe death telling your dumb butt to slow down, you know, because if you would have hit any of those two cars, that would have been it, and maybe more so for your friend because he's the one that saw it in front of him, you know? So, yeah, then that kind of clicked and made a little bit more sense than La Llorona. I don't know why it would, La Llorona would be crossing, you know, the the highway. But, you know, it was just weird because, uh, like I said, I was looking straight ahead, never turned around or nothing like that. I was looking straight ahead, making sure that I had none of the, the two cars. And I never saw anything enter my vehicle. That was that was a bit strange that I saw it behind me and outside the car. And my friend saw it coming in, almost hitting him in the face. Coming in through the car and then ducking underneath the bridge. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my story. Thank you so much. I uh, love the show. Yeah, thank you. Bye.
1: That's spooky stuff, Chris. Thank you for the submission. Now I've always felt that there was something spooky about automobile travel. Not your everyday commute, but in special circumstances. A long, dark, foggy road. A stretch of asphalt marked by tragedy. Or in this case, when something strange almost seems to intervene with your travel plans. But what could it have been that Chris and his buddy saw? a piece of plastic bag or sheeting sent aloft by the passing car, a simple smudge on the windshield that gave the forced perspective illusion of something coming near. Or if you can imagine such a thing as possible, the spirit of a long departed traveler, destined to keep others from meeting his same fate. While well, the latter is certainly most interesting, and according to my research, has happened before and to the most experienced of drivers. A discussion about the paranormal prompted Dale Earnhardt Jr. to tell the story of a crash he
4: had at Sonoma Raceway in 2004. Earnhardt was behind the wheel of a Chevrolet Corvette C5R when he crashed during the morning warm-up. Shortly after the car came to rest in the middle of the circuit, it burst into flames. He recalled to co-host Mike Davis, "...when I wrecked in the Corvette in 2004 at Sonoma and it caught fire. Somebody pulled me out of that car. And I thought that I was a corner worker because I felt somebody put their hands under my armpits and pull me out of the car. I didn't get out. I don't have any memory of myself climbing out of the car." Earnhardt Jr. went on to say that he wanted to thank the track worker that pulled him out of the flaming car, but was told no one had done that. He continued, "...and I fell to the ground, and there's pictures of me laying on the ground next to the car. I know that when I got to the hospital, I was like, who pulled me out of the car? I gotta say thanks to this person, because it was a hand. It was physical hands grabbing me. I felt it, and there was nobody there."
1: That bike, courtesy of grunge. So, I don't know, Chris. I suppose if I were to have another ghostly encounter, experiencing one potentially saving my life would be a really cool way to do it. Thanks for sharing your experience. Slow down out there, will you? All right. This next one touches on a familiar subject, but places it in an entirely new setting. Please welcome our anonymous caller from the state of Louisiana.
4: Hi, Derek. This is Name Withheld in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I've loved your show for a long time. I've been a listener for maybe six years, um, but I've never called. And I wanted to talk to you about something that's not a mirrored man or dog man, but a phenomenon that a lot of New Orleanians are familiar with, which is that for years now, intermittently, uh, usually only happens a few times a year, there are... Very, very loud, intense booms, complete mystery booms, mystery explosions that happen at various parts of the city. No one knows what they are. Sometimes they happen during the day. Sometimes they happen in the middle of the night. And when I say explosion or when I say a boom, I, I don't mean like a gunshot and I don't mean like a firework. Even a big firework, like an M-80. Now this is much, much bigger, um, almost as though um, a large bomb were going off somewhere. They shake the ground, (laughs) they create vibrations, you can hear them. Their points of origin, like I said, seem to happen randomly throughout the city or seem to be distributed kind of randomly, but you can feel them from far off. And I don't think anyone knows what they are. Um, A lot of New Orleanians speculate about them. I've experienced them myself on a handful of occasions. My wife and I live in a neighborhood that's um, right by the Mississippi River. And on a few occasions in the middle of the night, we've been awoken by one of these booms that has shaken our whole house almost like an earthquake, I've lived through an earthquake, so I know what that feels like. It was really very similar. But to my knowledge, there's no record of an uptick of seismic activity. There's no major geological tectonic activity or fault lines underneath the city. Now, of course, there's a very large river that moves through here that's controlled. So I don't know. know. I've heard a few different... Kinds of speculation that ranges from the sort of more, you know, uh, grounded, empirical, but that's just not really satisfactory. You know, we have, um, there's a lot of river trade, a lot of shipping, so it could be related to a container ship. There's also a large naval air base nearby. I think it's very possible that maybe there's some sort of covert drills or activities or something that involves sonic something i mean there's no attendant explosion or flash of light so i'm not sure about that and um also you know nasa is nearby so maybe nasa is doing something i'm of course tempted to think about portals to other realms not that i have anything specific in mind but this is a very spiritually charged place a place where you can pass through into other times and other kind of modes of being and, 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 and commune with spirits in the right context. So I'm wondering if you've ever heard in, of anything like this. And
1: yes, I, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, caller. Now typically we refer to this phenomena as skyquakes, or sky trumpets, or just mystery booms, but the phenomena can be found all over the globe. We've actually discussed skyquakes several times over the years, but I will admit this is the first I've heard of these sounds being reported near New Orleans. So I did a little digging, and it turns out that our caller is not the only one to report this odd happening.
5: I heard this big booming sound. I was sitting, listening to my gospel and preaching.
3: Ora Singleton lives just blocks from the Industrial Canal and Tuesday night around 1115.
7: I mean it went
5: boom!
7: And it just had a sound, roaring sound. Her adult
3: son ran downstairs.
7: He said, Mama, I don't know what the hell that is.
3: And people all across the city heard the mysterious boom that some say sounded like an explosion. Surveillance video captured it. You can hear it from inside this bedroom. NASA said it wasn't a meteor, Entergy said it wasn't a utility, and the Chalmette refinery said they didn't have issues. So, what was it?
5: We don't know.
1: We truly don't know. But you know, for once, we might have an answer. Or at least in this case, a clue.
3: Data analyst Jeff Asher, who is also the city's crime analyst, can't answer that question, but he does believe he knows what area the noise came from. In this video from Musician's Village, you first see a white flash in the distance. And then, about five seconds later, you hear this.
7: With the exact timestamp of the flash, you can then figure out maybe what it might have been by calculating the distance between up to six or seven videos of when exactly the sound reached each house.
3: All his findings intersected in one spot. So what part of the city do you think it came from?
7: I think it came from the just east of the industrial canal. There's a, a large area and that seems to be where all the circles are converging.
3: No authorities have confirmed this. We contacted the Port of New Orleans who said they are not aware of any incidents that could be the cause.
7: It's a big empty space. It would explain why there's no like camera specifically facing it.
3: These findings would put the boom practically in Singleton's backyard. But it's not the first time. Always at night.
1: Always and late.
3: She and several other neighbors say they hear similar booms every six months or so.
1: This
6: was louder. This one was
7: the loudest one that I ever heard.
1: Now those clips courtesy of WWL-TV, CBS News out of New Orleans. And it sounds like Aura and our caller here have experienced the same thing. So if any listener has eyes on that very spot of the city, do us a favor and stay vigilant. Keep us posted. And thank you, caller, for bringing all of this to our attention. You know, one way I combat life stressors is through microdosing. If you're not familiar, a quick online search will show you that all sorts of people... Are microdosing to help them relax, improve their mood, manage pain, and much more. Now, I regularly deal with anxiety and insomnia, and I know I'm not alone. And microdosing has been a game changer. It helps me chill out and get more sleep. Now before you tense up about three little letters, keep in mind that microdose gummies by tonight's sponsor, Lumi Labs, are completely legal everywhere in the United States. And yes, these gummies contain cannabinoids, but I'm not talking about Cheech and Chong in a stereotypical sense. I'm talking about entry-level doses of THC and CBD to help you relax and feel better. I like to use them at night when I'm ready to sit back and put my feet up after a long day. So what are you waiting for? Why not give them a try? Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes. But again, that's microdose.com and code MONSTERSAMONGUS. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to the spooky stuff. And that brings us to tonight's final entry. And this one, well, it's weird. So please welcome Anonymous from Ohio.
9: Hi, Derek. Long-time listener. I love the show. This is a really hard thing for me to talk about. The reason being is I've talked about it twice before. I'm once on a radio program, and after it was all said and done with, everybody kind of Thought I was crazy. It was just kind of a big joke, but I can tell you everything has really happened. But this happened years ago. I was a little kid. I'm gonna say it first started between five and seven, and it's hard for me to get get it nailed down because it took so long to to start, but it built up for such a long time. And, and I'll just go into it from here. When I was a kid, we lived in a house in East Liverpool, Ohio. And we had just moved out of a a home that had been really haunted, and I had no idea about that because I was too young to remember. And so I've only had stories from my mother and my aunt to tell me what happened there. So I had a separate bedroom from my my brothers. Um, I was on one side of the hallway, they were on the other, and from their room, you could see the corner and the wall and part of the entryway into my, my bedroom. Uh, through the door but you really couldn't see much all I could see was like the edge of their wall and then the stairways going down from that point and because my brothers were afraid of the dark my mother would always leave the bathroom light on in the hallway which sat probably 10 to 12 feet um, diagonally from us and the light would always shine on this one wall right where I would see the you know if my door was open I would see it and I can remember for years for like a year I would see like this small shadow and it was just formless but you could see it and it would just set in this corner where the light was shining and I, I didn't think much of it you know, it was Like there's a shadow on the, on the floor and it's kind of right there and it went from being on the floor to hovering in the air like a little dust ball or something but it wasn't big and it took it a really long time like I'd say a year before it even started to get definition, if if you understand what I'm saying. Like It started to take a form of its own. And I don't know why it took so long. I don't know what it was doing. or I have no clue. I just know it took a long time before it started to get a shape. And there was probably another half a year involved where the shape was very obvious. It was something sitting on the floor, hunched over. It didn't look human. It was like an animal of some sort, I would almost say like if you saw a dog sitting, you'd say, okay, I know that's a dog shadow the way it's sitting. This had a, a distinctive animalistic tone to it, but you couldn't tell what it was. And again, it's just me sitting here in, in, at night and seeing this, and it didn't do anything. didn't moved, never gave me any awful vibes or anything like that. It was just kind of steady, which is there and then for some reason it just kind of clicked it slowly became more visible and obvious what it was okay now the shadow defined itself to where it was almost like a man-shaped frog or not frog it was a toad the toads are, are lumpy and bumpy and dry and this did not have a, a wet skin to it it was very dark but you could still see it the, the toad itself was gray and it would start out growing from the shadow and then it would transform as the night grew on into that toad shape and it kind of was was like a man would hunch over uh squat down and put his hands on his knees and sit and that's how it sat uh, and it was probably one or maybe two feet in height I, I was just a kid so it was kind of hard to uh judge its its actual size but i would say it was no more than maybe two feet in height but it looked pretty solid what it started doing was it would stare at me and it it, it would stare in like this menacing way. It was very ominous the way it did it. I mean, sometimes it would move. It would kind of stretch itself out or like it wasn't comfortable, but it would always watch. And I always wondered why it never turned to my brother's room, which would be easier for it to see into than mine because he could see both of them, but I was kind of offset. So it, it had to peer into my room to see me. And that's what it did. It just always stared at me. And it began to bother me. I mean, i really got a lot of bad vibes from it. I, you know, I didn't realize the word was vibes back then, but I really had this really bad sensation of that I would swear I was gonna do something about it. And then the next day I would wake up and I would totally have forgotten all about it. I'd just go about my day and, and do things as I normally would until I laid down in bed, and then the shadow started to form. And I'd be like, oh my God, how did I forget this? So it was really kind of hard to do anything, but, what I did was I wrote a small note said toad so that I would remember. And then when I woke up the next day, I was like, I've got, yeah, I remember this. I, I've got to do this now. So I was trying to think of things that I could do there to stop the toad or scare it away. And, you know, you're a kid. You can't go look up library tomes and you can't talk to adults about it because they're going to think you're nuts. So I was like, you know, watching TV, trying to see if there was something you could do about monsters in your house and stuff. I mean, it's nuts, but that's what you're doing as a kid. Then I finally decided one night, I forced myself. I said, I really want to make sure I'm not crazy. I want to see what this is. I want to see if it's real or not. So I forced myself to get out of bed, and I started walking towards it. And it it zeroed right in on me, okay? And and this is where it sounds crazy, but I swear to to God everything's true. As I got close to it, it, it said, where do you think you're going? In this really raspy, devilish voice scared the hell out of me. I mean, I was so scared. It was ridiculous. And the only thing I could think of was I said, I'm going to the bathroom and I ran into the bathroom and slammed the door. And then I slept in the bathtub. I was so afraid I would not go back to bed. Um, I didn't want to go back down that hallway to face it. So I slept in the bathtub just so I didn't have to endure trying to get past that thing again. And that was kind of where I said, I've had enough. I was like, I've got to do something. And so my father, my father, he was a big-time hunter okay he loved to hunt we had hunting dogs he had all the gear he had everything well heck he had uh more uh rifles and shotguns for hunting you know birds and deer and whatever so i knew he had had knives because i was like i can't use a gun but i can get a knife and I, I remember going through his knives and there was just this one knife it wasn't really big it wasn't like you know Crocodile Dundee style, huge, but it just said to me, "This is what I needed." And it was like a uh, a medium sized blade, but it was it was a hunter's blade, and it was a deer hoof was the handle. And I thought, "This is like nature. This is what's going to stop him. It's it's nature. It's it's life. It's from from here." And so I I stole my dad's knife and I put it under my pillow, and then I went about my day. And that night, I remember going to bed and I felt the knife underneath the bed pillow, and I was like. This is it. I've I've really got to screw up the courage to do this. And I waited, and I watched it. And finally, I kind of drove myself crazy. I got up, put the knife behind my back as I got up so you couldn't see it, and began walking towards it again. Now, I don't know if it was about to say something or if it said something. I can't remember now. And again, this is going to be the part that sounds crazy. But I, I, I remember I raised the knife up, and I, as I got right close to it, I raised the knife up, and I drove it down as hard as I could, and I was on my back. You know, they say going, like, you know, rear end over teacups. That's basically what happened to me. And when I looked, it was totally gone. I had no idea what happened. I didn't see anything. I was looking everywhere. Like, you know, you, you see the monster movies. It's on the ceiling, or it's up in the corner of the roof or something like that. And I looked everywhere. I looked in the hallway. I even peeked under my bed, and it wasn't there. It was gone. And And so I just went back to bed put the knife back where it was but i kept a hold on it and i laid down but i didn't sleep i didn't sleep at all and it was a long time later like it never came back The it, it was done from that point i never saw it again ever and i don't know why okay I, I don't believe i killed it i don't know if i drove it off or if i you know did something that it, it was it was just repelled from from where i was at or whatever but you know i exercised it or something but it never came back after that, and it was years later I was I was reading a comic book, and it was a Howard the Duck. It was it was crazy, um, and they had this man frog thing on there. And I, I said out loud, but I was talking to myself. I said, "This looks like that toad I used to see." And my brother said, "Are you talking about the toad in the corner of the hallway?" And I said, "Are you serious? You saw that toad?" He goes, "I saw you attack it." And we had, I'd never said anything to anybody. So my brother knew what I was talking about immediately. And I said, you saw me attack it? And he said, yes. He goes, you came out and you brought that knife down and it looked like it was about to bite you. It opened its mouth. And he said, I don't know if it was going to jump or say something or, or whatever, but you brought the knife down. And as it kind of went in where its mouth was, it just it, it just went out in a puff. Like it exploded silently, like a boom with no boom. And then he said, it knocked you down. And he said, you got up and you were okay. So I didn't say anything. He said he used to see it and it scared him senseless. I think he said it it scared him stupid is how he worded it. But he said it scared him stupid every night because he could see it. But he he always saw it was looking at me. Now, just to give you a description, the toad after the shadows, it it kind of had like shadow wisps. It was always kind of cloaked in a shadow, but it was gray, very lumpy, big eyes, with like a dim pinpointer red. It wasn't like a lot, like it didn't glow and, and shine at you like a, a, a flashlight, but just dim, uh, very long claws, which I know amphibians don't really have, but this had claws on its, on its hands. And like I said, it was like a man squatting. And he described it to me pretty much just that way. So I don't know what it was. I don't know why the knife worked. I don't know if it was my belief in the knife or that I was right in my feeling that it was from nature. And so it would do that to the to the thing. But to this day, you know, I have five kids. Since my kids have grown, I've always made sure there was nothing in a corner of the room. And I've never asked anybody. But, you know, I think that they would say, hey, I, I saw something or but then again, I, I don't know. But I've never asked my kids if they've seen anything. And I've made certain like, you know, where we lived, there was no like corner for the thing to kind of come into. So I think it has something to do with that corner, that space. And so it's just something that's always freaked me out. And I know it sounds insane, but my brother actually corroborated it with me years later. I think we were probably like 13 or 14. I, I don't remember. It's been so long. But we were in, you know, in that period of just preteens coming up. And he he was my younger brother. He corroborated that he'd seen it. And I have no idea what it was. And I've never seen anything about shadow toad demons or anything like that. But I know what I saw. And I swear to God, this was real. And it was just bizarre how I could not remember it the next day uh, until it started happening again. And that's when the fear would set in. And I know it was malicious. I know it had evil intent. I'm glad it's gone, and I hope to God I never see it again. So just like to hear what your thoughts are, if you know anything about this, or if you've heard of anything like this. But uh, it's hard for me to talk about. Like, that is uh, probably the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with, the scariest thing I've ever had to deal with in my life. And I never want to have to go through that again. And I don't know if anybody's ever heard of anything like that. And that's why I'm calling. So thank you for doing what you do. And like I said before, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this, other than I'm just begging, please don't sound crazy because I'm not. Really not. This is an authentic story. So thank you. Thank you.
1: There you go. I told you it was weird. Thanks, caller, for sharing. Just a few things worth noting here. The fact that it took months or even years for the creature's shape to finally develop. That's strange. It's also interesting that it seemed to morph or shift from shadow to manimal before our caller's eyes. That's not normal. It's also interesting that he mentioned it shifting its weight to stay comfortable. And I don't know why, but there's something about that detail that adds credibility for me. And of course, it's worth noting our caller's childhood bravery to attack this entity. Frankly, it all sounds like something straight out of a Stephen King novel. Oh, and by the way, as for the Howard the Duck reference, I did a little bit of digging, and I believe the character our caller mentions is Garko, the man frog. Now I've linked to an image in tonight's show notes. Go have a look and imagine that thing in your bedroom. But you know, above all, I couldn't shake the description of this creature and its resemblance to something else. Another amphibious legend of the Buckeye State. The Loveland Frogman.
5: The Loveland Frog is a legend that goes all the way back to 1955. There was a businessman who was driving through the Loveland area near a bridge and he saw some creatures that he described as about three feet in height that looked not like people, but they they had wide mouths with no lips. Where there was supposed to be hair on their heads, there were instead wrinkles. And this man reported this. In 1972, police officers in Loveland saw a creature they described as a four-foot man with lizard-like appearance. And they were out on patrol while they were driving. And as they got closer, they spooked the creature, and the creature jumped over a guardrail into the Little Miami River. Two weeks later, Officer Mark Matthews saw the frog again and apparently took shots at it, but the creature escaped. A local farmer is said to have seen the creature, one month later while riding a bike. Although the officers didn't report the incident, it was leaked to the media, and the legend of the Loveland Frog continues to grow to this day.
1: Now that one courtesy of Shane Reinert on YouTube. And the legend does continue to this day. They even hold a triathlon event in Loveland every September to celebrate the legend. As Loveland Magazine TV here reports.
3: I am here at the Loveland Canoe and Kayak over here with Mark Bersani, the owner. Mark, let's go ahead and talk about this. How long has this Frogman race been going on? Tell us a little bit about the history and what you're involved in this year.
2: This race is a real fun race. It starts out with a canoe or kayak trip uh, about five miles and then they will ride eight miles and then there's a 5k run at the end. So supposedly people saw like a three to four foot amphibious frog-like man, and uh, that became the urban urban legend that we now know as the Frogman. So uh, the chamber approached me about seven years ago, and it took a couple years to talk me into doing a race like this because I know there's a lot to it. But we've been doing it for the last five years, and it's a lot of fun. We've got a lot of family members that come out, uh, parent-child. We have a lot of teams that come out and individuals as well, and
1: everybody just thinks this race is a blast. No, I think it's always fun when a community embraces these strange legends. But you know, actually, it might not be a legend at all. Back in 2016, a local couple spotted what they believed to be one of these frogmen, while playing Pokemon Go in the Loveland area. Now, I've linked to the shocking video that they captured in the show notes for tonight's episode. But you know, it's not lost on me that each of these encounters, the frogman and her caller's experience, occurred on opposite ends of the state of Ohio. But it's also not lost on me that both Loveland and East Liverpool are river towns. One on the mighty Ohio. The other just up one of its tributaries. No, I'm not suggesting that that suggests a connection. Just thought it was worth mentioning. So make up your own mind. Make your own connections. And I'll tell you one thing. I think we're all going to be a little more skeptical of that pile of clothes in our room tonight thank you again caller for the wild entry because that's going to do it for this episode Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me Derek Hayes additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd all media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use if you can please take a moment to follow us on social media we have accounts at Facebook Instagram and Twitter and don't forget about that Facebook group. While you're online, won't you please leave us a rate and review at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever that's possible? Five stars and a few kind words go a long, long way to make the show grow and keep the stories coming. I'll oh, give us a like and follow on YouTube too, if you are so kind. And finally, the musical score you heard in tonight's episode was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, co H E Music. And Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and until next week. Night secret entry plays off a package I presented in a previous episode. Back on Season 13, Episode 16, both Anne and Samantha shared experiences with silver-skinned extraterrestrials. Well, wouldn't you know, I found another similar call, and I wanted to squeeze it in here while the topic is still relevant. So without further delay, please welcome Samuel from California to the
10: program. Hey, Derek, this is Samuel Arnold in Northern California. This story takes place in Pennsylvania when I was about 16 or 17 in junior year of high school. And I was with two of my best friends at the time. And we decided to take a walk in the woods where my friend, I'll leave his name out, but we worked together at this orchard. And anyway, we we decided to take a walk in the woods behind my grandmother's house around back to these two orchards, one of which uh, we both worked at. Anyway, cut to the chase. We were just about at the point where we were rounding the end of the trail. And I was about 15 or 16 feet ahead of my two other friends. And I heard this rustling in the brush in this hedgerow. And then I saw these little men. I didn't believe my eyes at first. I saw these little tiny men, and they were these silvery gray color, almost, like iridescent. It was really strange. Anyway, best I can describe them, each one of them, they all looked identical. They had upside-down teardrop heads. And once I saw them, they were all towering in the hedge. And my two other friends came up. One, you know, wondering what I was looking at, and we all saw the same thing. Once, once I was, I was speechless, and they, you know, they saw the same thing. And after about a couple minutes of debating it, we, you know, mentally, we just decided to take off, and we ran as fast as we could away from these things. And we took the highway. So this is kind of a relatively rural area. And then we took, we ran around the highway, and then we ran back down the lane and into my grandmother's yard and we saw this pizza shaped craft looked like a piece of pizza with every color of the rainbow around it and then three military jets took off after it not nearly as quickly as this thing and so i said to my friends before we went back inside "We're each one of us going to make a piece of paper and draw exactly what we saw we all agreed and we all went back inside And we all went into different corners of the house, and we all reconvened, and then each one of us drew more or less the exact same thing. And I still have, uh, well, I know they do somewhere, but I can find it and send it in, which I would really like to do. I think my mother has the drawing that I made. Anyway, it was very surreal, and I have never experienced anything like it since. I hope you can use it. I love the podcast, and uh, thank you.
1: Thanks, Samuel. Okay, that detail is odd enough to take note of, right? I'm not alone in this. Having silver skin is not normal. I'm certainly not an expert in skin tone, or extraterrestrial taxonomy, for that matter. But I did have a thought regarding these things. With exception of that skin color, all these silver alien witnesses seem to be describing the classic gray alien. So is it possible that one person's gray is another's silver? Or perhaps light reacts to the creature's skin differently, causing variations depending on the light temperature it's exposed to? I honestly could hypothesize all day, but the bottom line is, that's another notch for these silver intruders whoever they are. And rest assured, I'm on the lookout for the next. But until then, thanks again, Samuel, for taking the time to call in. And that's going to do it for this main feed. From here on out, we're going beyond. To join us, simply visit patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us Podcast. Click and join the $5 level and boom, instant access to days worth of content. Now sit back and do your best to compose yourself. Stephen from Alabama is up, and his entry is classically creepy.
9: Hi Derek, my name is Stephen Anderson. I live in South Alabama. My story took place about three years ago.